Today's message originated in the pulpit of Covenant Community Church by lead pastor Alan Ellis. Covenant Community Church lives to glorify Christ by making disciples who are growing in relationship with God in worship, then with the church in fellowship, and with the world in witness. Now, here's today's message. As I said, I don't uh, do well with joy, too well with joy. And so this this Sunday, third Sunday in Advent, I always know that this is coming. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to say about something that I'm not very good at? You know, if if it was up to me, we'd talk about predestination, election, and salvation by grace every Sunday. And, of course, we did do that for years. And... Maybe it is true that preachers are really only given one message in their lifetime and they preach that message in a variety of different ways. But I think it is the elusive quality of joy that is the thing to be preached. Um, the, the not yet quality. That uh, we can almost touch it. We can almost possess it, um, but it's it's like um, trying to catch a squid or an octopus. It just always tends to get away from us. It doesn't diminish our pursuit of it because there's something intuitive deep within us that attracts us to this idea that as opposed to happiness, which is based on circumstance and circumstances, that somehow we have this longing, and this is what C.S. Lewis called it, a longing in our life that joy, real joy, rooted in something beyond ourselves is possible as a human being. So we've heard two passages from the Bible uh, this morning, the passage from Isaiah, which you would almost think that Jesus alludes to uh, when we hear him speaking in, in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew when he's talking, when he has this conversation via John, uh, John's disciples about himself, and then he has a, a larger converse, conversation Uh, with the crowd about John. John was very popular with the people during his time. They recognized he was an OG prophet. He was an original gangster prophet in in the Old Testament mode, and the the people saw that as hearkening back to a better time and that that possibly with John the Baptist's arrival that God was up to something, about to do something in the national life. Jesus, in his conversation about John with the crowd, tells us not only was he prophesied, uh, not only that he was a prophet, but that he was also prophesied to be the, uh, the one who opens the gate, opens the way, is is the announcer of uh, the Messiah. 
the circumstances uh, related to this story in, in the Gospel of Matthew aren't very good because the, if you look uh, with me in, in the passage, if you have your Bibles, and this is a, a familiar passage, but it's kind of strange to me that uh, the compilers in the 11th chapter, uh, look with me in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, it's kind of strange to me that the compilers of the lectionary choose this passage on the Sunday that is to be characterized by joy. Because the circumstances surrounding John, of course, he is in prison. And three chapters later, in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, John, uh, Matthew is going to tell us about John the Baptist's death. He doesn't, he doesn't get sprung out of prison by Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Jesus doesn't provide some supernatural path of escape. Uh, out of John's prison, but rather uh, uh, Jesus allows John the Baptist, almost like a shooting star, he tracks across uh, the midnight sky, he burns brightly, he shows the way, but then suddenly he's extinguished and gone. And it it is, I think, the the wisdom of the lectionary then is that to point us uh, in the in the direction of defining what joy is, and, I, and this morning I think the the definition of joy that I would work on is that joy is Jesus is Jesus discovered. If you don't know Jesus Christ, th- this is the New Testament position. If you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have a snowball's chance in hell. Those aren't New Testament words, by the way. But you don't have a snowball's chance in hell of sustaining yourself with a joy in the midst of uh, grievous, uh, trying circumstances. If you do know Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. Now, if I was in John's position, and look again, uh, verse 2 of chapter 11 says, John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples. If I was John the Baptist, I, don't, I think I would have had a different message. I would have been like, look, uh, Jesus, we're cousins, and... Um, you know, you got to do, you got to pull some strings here. If you're, if you're the guy, if you're the man, then you got to pull some rabbits out of the political hat here and spring me out of this because after all, look what I've done for you. Uh, but John the Baptist is, uh, he's not searching for temporal relief. John the Baptist has determined uh, in solitary confinement in his prison what the real question is to ask. Because if, if the answer to this question is correct and right, then his life means nothing, but his life means everything. So what a paradoxical position that God, Jesus puts us in. He says, 
if you find your life, and who, who isn't in the business of doing that? If you find your life, Jesus says, you'll lose it. If you focus on the obvious things that human beings think they should be focused on, you're going to lose your way. You're not going to discover that treasure that will cause you uh, in joy to, to gladly go and strip your life of everything worthwhile, get rid of it, and exchange it for that field so that you can possess the treasure that's in it. It's, it's counterintuitive uh, for us as believers. It pushes against the, the very fiber of who we are and what we, th- what we think autonomously that I'm the captain of my fate and what I should be doing with my life and I will, I'm the author of my own joy. I'm the author of my own circumstances. This is the way that it should go. And Jesus says counterintuitively, he said, just give up on that. That's, that's not going to work for you. If you discover who I am, then you will gladly uh, strip yourself of everything that this world says is worthwhile, and you will gladly possess me, and in so doing, you will have joy that sustains you. We, we're, uh, you know, we're entertaining ourselves to death, as one author says. We're, we're, we're dist- we are engaged with distractions all the time. We, we are doing everything to keep us busy so that we can avoid the bigger questions of life. And what John the Baptist sends by way of his disciples in this conversation, no email, no text messaging, no Snapchat, no Instagram, no picture of John the Baptist in prison sent over to Jesus on Instagram so Jesus can scroll through and say, oh, John the Baptist in prison, isn't that awful? But by his disciples... He sends this message. Look at it. Are you the one who is to come? You see, that's joy is always just beyond a person's grasp. C.S. Lewis associated, in his book, Surprised by Joy, he associated it with a certain kind of longing. And he said, it's as though God every so often puts a signpost out by the highway and says, look at this, consider this. And occasionally we glance up, we look at it, and he says, we develop a longing for something more, for something deeper, for something better, for something that would last, for something that's not fleeting. He says, this is God breaking into our world and the way we think that we should conduct our lives. And he's telling us there's something more for you. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? There, there's the question. Are you the fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams or are we yet to focus our attention on that one? And Jesus answers and this is where he is he's pulling out of that picture that Jake read for us from uh, the book of Isaiah. Uh, this idea that Israel always held in high hope that there was a day coming when 
every wrong would be righted, when every blind person would see, when every lame, lame man would walk. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. This is what's happening. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Just imagine that. Uh, at the end of the list, Jesus tacks this on because this is important. The poor, the poor in spirit, the poor in this world have the good news of the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by my unorthodox ways. Now, I believe that when John the Baptist got the message, the answer to his question, uh, that was enough to sustain him to his dying day. We heard it in the call of worship this morning, Acts 20, 24. It was one of the memory verses assigned to us when I first, uh, first year in Bible school. The words of the Apostle Paul, none of these things move me. See, oh, what a person would give to be able to say that. Whatever life has dished out to me, it is impossible for those circumstances to move me because I have discovered Jesus. And in discovering Jesus in my joy, it doesn't matter. Now, what matters truly is this treasure, this pearl of great price. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Wow. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now we could unpack that verse and talk about things that produce joy in a believer's life. Suffice it to say, the gospel of the grace of God is that thing which brings us great joy. So on this Sunday uh, in Advent where we have to talk about, we, we have to talk about joy. Um, I, I think of that verse of Scripture in the book of Nehemiah. You, you know the verse of Scripture, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The circumstances of uh that verse of Scripture is that the people of God have been in captivity for a long time. Finally, they're released to go back to Jerusalem, and Ezra's uh, job is to, to rebuild the walls, if my memory serves me correctly. And once that uh, job is accomplished in the eighth chapter of uh, the book of Nehemiah, they have a gathering of the people, and Ezra, if you look in verse 1, Ezra the scribe, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it. And the ears, if you read down in this passage, and the ears of all the people 
were attentive to the book of the law. They had been in captivity so very long. They had not been attentive to a careful reading, study, and discussion of the law. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him, he has a bunch of people. And Ezra opens the book of the law, verse 5. In the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all, all the people stood. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Here's Old Testament liturgy, by the way. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with the faces to the ground. Ezra had a bunch of people who were helping, and the Levites, along with these people, were helping the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Verse 8, look, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, verse 9, and Ezra the priest and scribe and Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Here it is, do not mourn or weep. Why? For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, go home, eat, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved. Here's the verse for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because They had understood the words that were declared to them. Frederick Dale Bruner says, joy is the engine of change. Joy is the engine of change. People were convicted by the word after they understood the word, saw how far in some 70 years, how far away, Uh, from God they really were, and it caused them to grieve. It caused them to weep. And the consolation that the Levites spread among the people, even as they discovered word that had been covered up, was this day is holy to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to end this today, just a couple of minutes, with the statement that joy cannot be commanded. And and that's true. Joy is, if you discover Jesus, joy automatically is the result of that. You say, well, I'm going to get happy. I'm going to have a better outlook. I'm going to get positive. And... We've all seen people that we try to encourage, people that are, for one reason or another, they're up against it. And you try to encourage them, but we all know you can't command a person to be joyful. A person to be joyful has to go through the process of discovery themselves. I wish they would bottle it and we could take a little dropper and I could drop on every one of your heads this morning, pure joy. And you'd go out of here saying, I can't wait to come back next week and I'll bring my neighbors with me because I want them to know what joy is. But joy doesn't work that way. 
joy often comes as the result of us going through some period of difficulty. And I think the compilers of the lectionary are saying, um, just like there's cheap grace, there's cheap joy. And they're saying, don't be discouraged if the circumstances you are facing seem to be less than joy producing because just on the other side, if you ask the right questions, if you dig in the right piece of ground, you'll find joy unspeakable and full of glory. C.S. Lewis said this, all joy reminds. And I, that, how is it possible that three words can be combined in such a way that cause you to think so deeply about that. All joy reminds. Uh, when, when I think of Christmas, I think of Christmas as a boy going up to Bucksport, Maine, to my grandparents. And my aunt, my dad's sister, worked in a Fernald's department store. It was like a real department. Remember a real department store? Where they had good quality clothing that wasn't made in China? That just didn't, you know, it doesn't matter. You go to Walmart, Walgreens, Macy's, all the clothes look the same, right? Didn't used to be that way. She, so she worked in a department store for Mr. Fernald, and she got the good stuff. So, like, we got clothes for Christmas. I got to thinking about Christmas, Christmas's past. And now I'm 63 years old and Christmas doesn't quite have the luster that it used to, right? I can remember in my 20s when people stopped buying me gifts. And I was a little bit disappointed with that. Because I still wanted to keep that kind of joy associated with Christmas alive. And when Lewis says these three simple words, all joy reminds. I think what he's saying is that it doesn't really qualify as joy unless you've gone through something. Unless you've actually lost everything that you thought was valuable. On the other side of that, and you discover Jesus and you discover what life is really all about. All joy reminds. It's never a possession. There's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. We catch a little bit of this, and I'm soon to close here. You you can tell I don't do well with joy. I, I struggle with this subject because I, like you, by the way, you don't do well with joy either. I, like you... When circumstances happen, like John the Baptist, or when circumstances happen, like to the old people of God in the book of Nehemiah, we we tend to give up. We lose hope. We lose our hope. We lose our peace, and we just figure we're it's it's not going to get any better. I don't see any way out. How many times have we gone to bed at night talking to ourselves like this? I don't see a way through this. I don't see any good coming out of 
I don't see how am I ever going to get over this. What are you up to, God? That's, that's the human narrative. Uh, but then in the midst of the mess of our lives, God puts a signpost out by the highway. He says, we catch a glimpse of something that might be, that could be, that causes us, as Peter says here in the book of First Peter, look at it with me. Chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, see, you haven't seen him, yet you love him. It's something beyond you. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It may not happen as often as you would like it to in your life, but I can guarantee you this, that if when it does happen to you in your life, if it only happens to you once in your life, you will remember it for the rest of your life. Where did that come from? I, I have, I have just looking, assessing the situation rationally, I have no reason to be hopeful, peaceful, joyful, or loving about any of this. But all of a sudden, I am overwhelmed with a sense of God's peace and joy. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, say it with me, joy and peace. So there it is. The man's digging in a field and he finds his treasure and he's looking around, he's like, did anybody see me? We'll cover it back up. I'm going to go sell everything, whatever it costs me. It doesn't matter. Because this is, wow, what a discovery. In joy, he went and sold everything that he had and bought the field. Is it, is it possible then? That every disappointment, every John the Baptist in prison experience in our life, every, every reading of the law, the letter kills, the spirit makes alive. This is what, what the Levites under, understood, and that joy is the engine of change. So the people, the, the people have to be moved beyond this somehow. Is it, is it possible that every sermon that I ever preached that caused me to search inwardly and deeply and even even grieved me at times when I heard the word of God and, and realized how far away from God that I was. Is it possible that those things are really gateways, venues that open up into joy unspeakable and full of glory? Yes. Yes. Yes, God can take the prison of, of your death. And he can say, look, the lame walk, the blind see, the Old Testament promise that was always just beyond, just beyond, just beyond, just out of touch. It's here, John. You can die. <laughs> the old phrase, you can die with a smile on your face. Close with this. Bruner says, first the jewel and then the selling. So often we get it 
we get it out of order. We get the cart before the horse. First, we discover Jesus, which causes such great joy that then we're willing to sacrifice everything that is meaningful and worthwhile to us to possess that treasure, to possess the joy. Luther's joy precedes Calvin's gravity. The good news of the gospel that says no matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, no matter how you feel about yourself, that God loves you, gave his life on Calvary so that you might know him and know that joy. My halting presentation this morning, if the world could hear it and understand it, What freedom, what liberty, what joy would be introduced into their lives? Don't ask God to make your life easier. Ask God instead the question that John the Baptist, do I, are you the one, do I, I think I, that I think you're the one. I think I've discovered the true source of joy. And Jesus' answer is, yes, 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 I am, I am the one. I wish that for you. If I could give that to you as a gift for Christmas, if I could give that as a gift for Christmas to myself, I would. The joy cannot be commanded. It cannot be demanded. It has to be discovered. Amen. Almighty God, John the Baptist finished his course like the Apostle Paul with joy, joy in his heart. No doubt he did not want to die. No doubt he did not want to waste away in a prison. But knowing you, knowing you, Jesus, made all the difference. Help us, God, by your sovereign grace to discover who you are. To hear the good news of the gospel in in the preached word. Help us, Lord, not to despair. There are reasons to despair, Lord, in this life. There are reasons to be grieved. There are reasons to weep, Lord, but help us in the midst of that. Not to despair utterly, but to realize that you, in the midst of our despair, are leading us to discover who you are. For more information on Covenant Community Church, visit us online at www dot c-o-v c-o-m-c-h-u dot o-r-g that's covcomchu dot org or give us a call at 314-869-4367 at covenant community church it's our prayer that the preceding message 
has served to glorify Christ and further God's work in your life.